You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, this morning I want to share uh, in Isaiah 53, and uh, I don't know what kind of presents you received this week, but did any, did any of you get a present that you kind of knew what it was? but you didn't know how it worked. How many of you got one of those presents? You're like, oh, I like this, this is cool, but not, everybody knew what, did you all get socks or something for Christmas? Like nobody got anything totally new, different, that you're like, I don't know how this thing works. Yeah, you know, one of my kids got a little like kind of electronic thing and, you know, and I could see him playing with it. I'm like, so buddy, you know what to do with that? And he's like, I don't know. And what did he do? Like any typical guy, you know, he's just trying to figure it out. But after about an hour, out come the instructions. What does this thing do? How does it work kind of thing? Well, this morning, I want to do that, if you will, with the greatest gift that God has ever given. We talked, uh, obviously, at Christmas Eve about God giving us the gift of Jesus. He was born in the manger, and he was uh, the Lord of the universe. This morning, I want to pull out the instructions. Not so much talk about the baby Jesus, if you will, but I want to talk about what Jesus did for us. And so Isaiah 53 talks about that. And I want to read the whole chapter. This is one of the absolute most amazing uh, chapters in all of the Bible. If, uh, if you know anything about the New Testament at all, then it's kind of like all of Romans and John 3.16 all together in one little chapter. So I want to read the whole thing all at once, and I want to unpack three or four things here with you as we kind of literally, all right, let's look at the instructions of the gift that God gave us. How does this work, and what is, what is God's wonderful gift to us? So listen to what uh, Isaiah 53 says. It'll be on your screen, or you can, you can turn there in your Bible if you have it. Uh, Isaiah the prophet says this, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, talking about Jesus, before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus would not have made any modeling shows. No, no modeling agencies would have been interested in him. He would not have been a Kardashian. He was not a popular, pretty, beautiful, whatever kind of person. In fact, he was kind of homely, we might say, and maybe even, even dare say ugly. There was nothing that naturally attracted people to Jesus. In verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. If you think you had a rough childhood, imagine growing up and being the son of God and being rejected and not being the popular kid and all of that. Despised, and we esteemed him not as people. Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We thought he deserved it. Our natural bend when we think of Jesus dying on the cross is not to say, oh, look, that God loves us and saves us. The natural humanity in the world says, what did he do so bad that he had to die on the cross? What did he do so wrong that he had to die? But, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed 
and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see, talking about God, and be satisfied. God is satisfied with the death of Jesus. And by his knowledge, by the knowledge of Jesus, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he, talking about Jesus, shall bear their, talking about you and me, their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Pray with me, would you? Father, we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you that you revealed to Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus ever came these truths, that you showed him that your son would one day would come, would die a sacrifice sufficient to cover our sins, that Jesus would be buried among the rich, among, we know later on, Joseph of Arimathea's grave. And Father, that through his sacrifice, that you would be able to declare good and righteous all who surrender and put their trust in Jesus. Lord, help us this morning to an afresh and anew to see the gospel and to see who Jesus was and why he really came, not just to be a good man and to be born in that stable, but to truly see him as the Son of God, the King of kings who laid down his life and took upon himself our punishment, our shame, our death, so that we could be free and declared good before you. Father, thank you for that gift. May we celebrate that, open it, enlighten our, our eyes of our heart this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to, to notice four things about this incredible gift that God has, has given us through his son, Jesus. And the first thing I want you and I to realize, to recognize this morning is uh, the failures that we have all made. In verse, in verse 6, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible makes it so clear that you and I in this world have chosen of our own accord to walk away from God. God is our shepherd. He's the one who is the provider, the carer, the one who, who gave us life. And we have, each one of us have walked away. We have wandered off away from the one who would protect us, the one who would provide for us, 
the place and the person of our security, the place of our love and our care. And each one of us, in our own way, have wandered off. Some of us have gone in one direction. Others have gone in another direction. Nothing in the world around us caused us to do that. It was our own mind, our own heart, our own volition, our own will. And every one of us have gone about life doing our own thing on our own way, completely ignoring God, entirely walking away from Him. Now, for most of us, we look at our life and we say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. I believed in God, and you know, I, I can't ever remember a time that I haven't, you know, that I've always been there with God. But when God looks at our life, He says, yeah, I don't think so. You know, that's kind of some wishful thinking there. <laughs> you, you have wandered far and wide from me. You have gone astray in your own way. Now, this gets a little more serious, a little more intense. Look at Isaiah 55. He, uh, he, listen to what he says in Isaiah 55. He says this, he says, Seek the Lord while may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, that's you and me, forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, in verse 8, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. These verses sync exactly with what Isaiah is talking about. Our ways are not God's ways. We have all gone astray. We have each taken our own path, our own way of life, followed our own common sense, followed what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, who we want to do it with. And God says, I wasn't in any of that. What is amazing to me is when we read in Isaiah 55 is that God says, it's not only your ways, not my ways, even the things going on between your ears don't even line up with me. You see, our, our life is so different from God. Our life is so astray from God that even the thinking that we have is completely opposite of what God would want for us. That we are so messed up, our failures are so great, we can't even think straight. We can't even you know, begin to comprehend and to think and to, to have our minds and our hearts pure as the God in heaven's mind and heart is pure. That means our attitudes are bad. That means our desires are messed up. That means our will is messed up. That means our behavior, our actions, all the things in our life are there. Now, that's not to say that every little thing that we do in life is, is pure evil and bad, if you will. Um, there's a lot of wonderful things that we do in, in life, whether a person knows Christ and has surrendered to Him or not. People are able to, to do some good things, but there's nothing in our life that is untainted and that is uncorrupted by what we're talking about. There's everything in our whole world has been twisted and corrupted. In fact, that's what that word iniquities means. When the Bible says that it, our iniquities were laid on Jesus, the word iniquities means it's a twisting, it's a corruption, it's a perverting, if you will. So all of our thoughts, all of our actions, all of our attitudes and behaviors are a twisting of what God had wanted. There's good there, but there's bad mixed into the middle of it. Think of it this way. If your well has, uh, how many of you have well? How many of you are on well water? 
Do people even know what wells are? You know, like milk doesn't come from the store, it comes from a cow. I'll tell you a secret, water doesn't come from the faucet. It comes from, you know, either from a big lake somewhere from under the ground. They're just, they're wonderful things. So I have a well at my house. I probably should put a lock on it because, you know, to be honest with you, you, there could be some crazy person one day that just comes over, swings it open and puts something in my well and poisons my well. That wouldn't be very nice, but it would, could, could potentially happen. So if you've got a well, you want to have it tested to make sure there's no E. coli and all that kind of stuff in there, right? And I've done that a couple of times with my water. So if my well is tainted, if it has something bad in it, there's bad, but there's also good. But all of the water that's in there has been corrupted. It's tainted. In fact, there's a shallow well that we have in our property. I don't, we don't drink from that water. I don't trust it. It does test for bad stuff and we just wash the clothes in it and whatever. That's what your life and my life is like. That's what God is trying to tell us is that all of our ways and that all of our thoughts have been corrupted. Now, here's the thing, guys. This is a challenge for us to think about because who wants to wake up on a Sunday morning to hear, I don't want to go to church because he's just going to tell me I'm a bad person. All I've ever done in life is bad and everything I've ever thought is bad. I mean, that's not exciting. It's not fun. But I'm sharing this in this way because whenever God wants to change our life, whenever God wants to deal and help us to work through stuff, he always starts and begins to address the black box of our life. You know what the black box is in an airplane? You know, airplane goes down, it crashes and burns. I discovered a couple of years ago that the black boxes aren't really black. They're like a bright orange, which makes sense. I don't know why they're called a bright a black box. It should be called the orange box. But, you know, if you're trying to find a box in the bottom of the ocean where there is no light, it's probably nice fluorescent color orange would be kind of a nice thing. Or, you know, if it's a crash site. But what God does is he wants to open the black box and he wants to show us what went wrong in our life. Now, we don't like it, but God wants us to deal with that. Because until you and I are willing to look into that box, to realize that we have gone astray, that we have done it of our own accord, nobody has forced us, nobody has caused us this problem, this ill, that we have all done that, until we face that reality, we're not willing to truly surrender our life to Christ. You see, it's easy for us if we're not careful to kind of just want to ease our way into a relationship with God. It's, we just want to kind of, well, I've always been there and I'm, I'm going to church and I'm, you know, I'm believing and I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping God. And God says, yeah, but I got a black box over here. And until you're willing to admit that you have totally walked away from me and in every area of your life, walked away from everything that I stood for, you can't have a relationship with me. So this morning, I want to urge you to be willing to allow God to open the black box before you, to deal with whatever in your heart that you've done in your past and in your life or whatever's going on now, the things that God wants to put his finger on and say, you need to deal with that. We have all failed and the Christmas gift that God wants to give us doesn't work without it. That electronic gift that came into my household with all the buzzers and lights and bells and all of that, you know one of those gifts that the day after you're like, why did I get that? Like, that's, that's a gift that grandparents are supposed to give to the grandkids that they don't ever have to listen to it, right? Not parents. Parents should be smart enough. But, you know, if we're not willing, in those electronic gifts, 
They don't work if you remove the battery. It just doesn't work. It can sit there and all the hardware can be there, but it doesn't work. So for us, for this gift that God is offering us, that gives us through His Son Jesus, it doesn't work if we're not willing to recognize and admit our failures, to be honest before God in heaven, to be transparent before Him, to say, here's the reality. Second thing I want you to notice about the gift, and right behind the fact of us looking at the failures, God wants to make it clear, hey, you guys have all messed up. He doesn't leave us without hope. He says, but I want you to know that those sins have been paid for already. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. In fact, if we really are looking at it, he tells us that Jesus paid for these things before he tells us how bad we've been. He says, he's, in verse 4, he's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. In verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. The laws that God put out there that we broke, those are where we transgressed. He was crushed literally abused and destroyed, crushed because of those twisted things in our heart. And on him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. In verse 6, And the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, the second thing I want us to notice about this wonderful gift is while you and I have to face the black box at some point in our life, God wants us to look into the black box with a hope, with a hope of knowing that whatever we discover in that box, whatever in our past, whatever has caused us, whatever the sins are that cause the failures in life, you know, when we wander away from God, you wander away from the life giver, you get death. You wander away from the one that is life, you get darkness. You wander away from the one that has all wisdom, you get confusion, you get despair, you get lostness, you get all of that. And if we want to, want to know why our life is all messed up, as we walk in face into those realities that we're the ones that messed up, but God holds our hand and He says, but hold on. There's nothing in this box that I want you to, uh, that I did not already send my son Jesus to pay for. He took our punishment upon him, not just a sacrifice for us. You know, if a, a, a house is burning and a firefighter runs in and saves someone, but ends up dying themselves, there's a wonderful sacrifice. I mean, it's a horrible thing and, uh, that would happen, certainly. And our soldiers that go to war sacrifice and put their lives on the line for us. But that's different than taking our punishment. I want us to realize that when Jesus took our sacrifice, when he sacrificed for us, he literally took our punishment upon him. It was a punishment that you and I deserve. We really don't like the idea of punishment. In our culture, we struggle with it more and more, even as parents and others. There is a time and a place for us to deal with the consequences of lives, and it's a part of the authority and what we have to do. Honestly, whether you're in a workplace or not, there's consequences to our actions and our behaviors and all of that, and accountability. And God took all of the accountability, all of the punishment that you're, you and I earn from all of the things that we've done wrong, and He removed them from us, and He put them upon Jesus. He took the chastisement that you and I deserved. I don't know if you ever were chastised by somebody who loved you. I don't mean abuse. I don't mean uh, abuse of any kind. But somebody that you know that loved you, but you still really blew it. 
and we're chastised. That's not a fun place to be. It's not an insecure place to be because you're secure, you know they love you. But think of a mom and a dad, you know, think of somebody with a legitimate authority over you. And God in heaven loves us, but that chastisement, that punishment was completely upon us. And instead, he completely put every bit of it upon Jesus. You see, when you and I look at the cross, we should certainly see Jesus, but we really kind of need to see ourselves there first. We need to realize that all the stuff that we've done wrong, that's what we deserve. Because what happens is in our minds, we think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I haven't really done anything that really deserves any kind of big trouble. It's especially hard if you're one of those people that got away with a lot of stuff. Some people in life just either knew how to get away with things or they knew how to talk their way out of stuff. And that's hard, especially for you, because in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I'm just going to talk my way out of this one. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to work this out. And you play the games in your mind. And God's like, yeah, you can talk all you want, but I see every bit of what's going on in your heart. And we have to realize that, that all of the, what we've done has earned us that punishment. And until we get to that point, we're not ready to see the grandeur of all of God's grace and love that he wants to offer us because we really don't know how bad it is. We really don't know how much trouble we're in. We really don't know how bad the cancer is in our soul and we're not willing to receive the remedy. And if we do see the remedy, we don't even see that it's that big of a deal. And so as we see Jesus hanging on the cross, see yourself that that punishment was ours, but ultimately Jesus was the one who took it. And what's amazing to me, and these verses say so clearly, but he did it in such a way, he did it without complaining. He did it without attitude, without fussing. Look what he says in verse 7. The Bible says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, and he, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't whine, he didn't complain, he didn't protest. He did it knowing full well what he was doing for you. As God the Son, Jesus knows everything, and He knew you personally that He was taking upon Himself the punishment that your sins had earned Him. That's astounding to me. What's even more astounding is even today at the very end of this, as we read, that Jesus now lives to make intercession. He intercedes on our behalf before God the Father in heaven. Have you ever done something for someone begrudgingly before? Either somebody asked you to do something and you felt like you kind of had to for whatever reason. Um, that's not a fun place to be. You did it, but you wish you didn't have to do it and you really didn't want to do it and your heart was really not in it. You know what's amazing? That's not what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Jesus didn't have this conversation inside of himself saying, yeah, I guess I got to because it's what the Father wants me to do. I got no choice. He was glad to do it, and he doesn't hold it over our head, and he doesn't even give us attitude now. To think that the God of heaven literally holds none of this against you and against me is absolutely astounding to me that he took that punishment, our punishment, upon him freely and gladly, lovingly for us, entirely for our own good and our own benefit. Third thing I want you to notice is not only the, the failures that we made, but 
that God put that punishment on Jesus. The third thing I want you to recognize is we just look verily at the gospel in its purity form this morning, the gift, the unwrapped that God offers us through Jesus, His Son. I want you to notice the satisfaction of God or the appeasement. God was appeased by Jesus dying on the cross. Verse 10, the Bible says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The old King James that I grew up reading says that, that the Lord was pleased. It was His will, but it certainly was what He was wanted to happen. That God the Father crushed Jesus, put Him to death, put Him to grief. When He makes an offering for guilt, our guilt... In verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see. The first, the his is talking about Jesus. Out of the anguish of Jesus' soul, he, talking about God the Father, shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus, Jesus, in other words, experiencing your punishment and mine, him walking that life and dying, the, that knowledge that he lived you're my sin and our behalf. Out of that, he shall make uh, the, the righteous one, my servant, shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Here's what this is saying to us this morning. Good morning, Gary. That God the Father, because he put his punishment for your sins and mine upon Jesus, that God is able to then in turn put Jesus' righteousness on your and my account. It's almost as if you and I, um, what's the electricity carrier these days? It used to be like Niagara Mohawk, who is it? Is it National Grid? Are they the electrical carriers? It's kind of like the Times Union Center, the Knickerbocker, and the Pepsi, and whatever it is now. Everybody's, you know, switching stuff around. So anyway, I get a little confused with that sometimes. But it's kind of like this. It's literally, if you and I had two accounts there, you know, with the, with the national grid, and that somehow, good morning, Gary, and if I called them up, let's say you, you had lost your job and couldn't pay or anything like that, and I called them up, and I had, and I, for whatever reason, I had access to all of your information, and I literally switched, and mine was paid in full, and I switched, and I put my name on your account and your name on my account. That's what Jesus literally did. In the eyes of National Grid, you wouldn't know anything at all. You'd be paid in full, everything would be fine. They would be as if you had literally never had fallen behind in your, your bill. And instead, I would be the one stuck with that. That's what Jesus did. He swapped accounts with God for you and for me. And because of that, God is satisfied that your sins and mine are completely paid for. Think about it this way. Most people, when they get out of prison, don't have to run from the law. They don't have to be afraid if the lights go by behind them, they can let the car go on by because they know they're not after them. But think about the guys that broke out of prison up in Denimore, what, a few years ago, three or four or five years ago? Uh, by the way, when that happened, I found out I was going canoe camping with my kids, and uh, they were one of the guys that were, they were still trying to chase was in Tupper Lake, and we were going canoe camping, and all of a sudden I see the sign, welcome to Tupper Lake, and I'm like, oh, my wife would kill me if she knew where I was going. Literally that night, I'm hearing the helicopters flying over, so I'm like, I sure hope they see there's three of us that threw that infrared camera in this tent, because I really don't want anybody coming in and, you know, whatever. But remember when they got out? 
They were running from the law. Why? Because they were guilty of the law, and as a result, they were accountable to it, and there was a price to be paid. You and I, we were guilty, but the difference is this. The law had been met. When a typical person gets out of prison, they do their time, their five years or 10 years or 20 years or whatever, and the law says, you're free to go. You and I are free to go in this gift that God gives us, that the punishment that your sins, your lying, your cheating, your stealing, the twistings, the selfishness, the control issues, the anger, all of the jealousy, the hatred, the anger, the lust, the greed, the bitterness, all of that stuff that's in our heart, all of the thoughts that we've had that are wrong and all the actions that came out of that, God says, you're free because the requirements of the law had been met. What does the law require when we sin? The Bible says very clearly, the wages of sin is death. When you and I sin, we earn death. But Jesus came and he died in our place. And when we put our trust in him, that switching of accounts becomes a real thing. And God applies that salvation to our heart. And the law says, we are free and clear. We now know, oh, no one, nothing. The punishment, the, the, the righteousness of God's law is satisfied. The punishment has been met. It has been paid for, paid in full. Guys, that's the best thing going in our life. I woke up a yesterday morning. Dreams are weird. You, you know that, right? Dreams are just always weird. But sometimes they're really weird. And in this dream, I didn't dream about doing something bad, but I had a, me a memory like, oh my goodness, I did that. And it was like a really bad thing. Like literally would have messed up my whole life. And I woke up in a little bit of a panic, like what am I gonna do? And then I said, and it was real. Like I was me, you know, I wasn't blue. I wasn't married to a Martian or an alien and people weren't weird. There wasn't none of that weirdness. Like it was very real, all right? And I'm thinking, whoa, what is River of Life going to think? What is my family? And I kind of woke up, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't do any of that. Like, what in the world? Can I tell you in that moment how freeing it was to remove that shame? What God does, guys, is truth of the matter is you and I wake up, and we have done a lot of junk in our life. But that same experience is what God wants us to realize and to, to have in our life is that, all of that shame is removed. All of the guilt is removed. All of the consequences are gone. It is as if you and I, it is as if, as if you and I have never done anything wrong. Because Jesus is perfect. You see, the Bible says that he did no wrong. He didn't even open up our, his mouth. He, there was nothing wrong whatsoever. Verse 9 says he has done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. So if we're, if we're comparing accounts, looking at the ledger, perfect. That's Jesus. No lying, no stealing, no cheating, no envy, no angry, no anger that was inappropriate, uh, no hatred, no violence, no racism, no prejudice, no lust. I mean, perfect. We look at our account, it's the opposite. And God literally swaps them. And so you and I are not only free to go, 
But you and I have a complete, complete removal from the stigma and the judgment and all of that before God in heaven. He's been appeased. He's been satisfied. Our sins have been atoned for, the Bible says. That means a whole lot of things to you and me. It means, first of all, that we shouldn't try to overcome our sins. We can't. We're broke. We can't pay the bill. We're absolutely bankrupt. But neither should we bother trying. You know, if God's given us a wonderful gift and if He's paid the price for us, wouldn't it be weird to God if we tried to pay for that ourselves? I mean, think about it this way. If we owed God a hundred bucks and we handed Him a $100 Monopoly money bill, wouldn't that be a little odd? I mean, at first you'd be like, what are you doing? Like, that's not real. I mean, if somebody tried to pay a bill to you and gave you Monopoly, monopoly money, wouldn't you be a little irritated? Wouldn't you be a little shocked? Like, what are you thinking? Wouldn't you actually be a little offended? So here's the thing. Any time that you and I try to gain our own righteousness, ourselves, it's an affront to God. Any time that we try to be good enough to think that God's going to let us into heaven because we do all these good things, or we go to the right church, or we've you know, been, been a good person, or we've prayed, or we've been baptized, all of this stuff, God's like, yo, my son died for you. Are you kidding me? This, the price to get in here is the blood of my son. You can't offer me anything that's worth anything. You see, only Jesus is legal tender. In 65, Congress made an act. What's it? Uh, the coinage and I think it's the Coinage Act is the name of it in Congress. It was, it was strange. I was doing some reading in the Civil War time up to about the 1860s. A coin was worth whatever value that it intrinsically had. In other words, if it was a silver coin, however much silver was in it was what it was worth. If it was a gold coin, however much gold was in it, what it was worth. Then the gold rush hit in the, in the U.S., and the price of silver went up, and the price of gold went down, and all of the values went kind of crazy and haywire. And this is crazy. I don't understand all of this. We probably had some laws before this, but it wasn't until 65 that we had the Coinage Act when it said, okay, legal tender is, you know, paper money, dollar bills, and quarters, and all of that. Like, we're, we're done with all this nonsense. So that's why you and I can carry cash, if we actually have it, and say that, you know, this is, this is I'm offering you this as legitimate legal tender. In God's world, the only money that's worth anything is the blood of his own son Jesus. It's the only thing that's worth of a value that can overcome our sins, that can make payment for our sins. You and I have nothing else to offer. The Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our good acts, all of our good thoughts, all of our good anything that we can produce in and of ourselves is like filthy rags before a holy God. Why? Because our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. Gods are like, you're so contaminated and unclean, it's not even funny. Only my son can pay for this. So the fact that God has been appeased means that you and I not only should not cover our own sins, try to, try to be good enough on our own, that from whether it's the day we first trusted Christ or a thousand days into it, we should never rely on what we do is why we're okay with God. It's all because of what Jesus has done. Anything other than that is prideful and an affront to a holy God in heaven means we should rest and we should trust completely in Him.
So this morning, if you've never really trusted Jesus, surrendered your life to Him, and allowed God to switch the names on the accounts, this morning I urge you to do what the Bible says, to simply trust Him. And I'll, I'll give you a little more information on that in a second. But you need to take that step. If you've already taken that step, then rest there. You don't need to move past that. You don't ever graduate from that. You don't ever move forward, learn more, get beyond that. In fact, to be honest with you, I think in the, a lot of the Christian life is learning to stay there and not start taking credit for something God has done for you. Well, I'm a good person because I hadn't done anything that bad today or this past week or I've read my Bible or whatever you might be doing. Just simply trusting that Jesus, God in heaven, looks at you and he sees Jesus and he is satisfied. Fourth thing, and I'm done. Not only has God been appeased, but I want you to notice that, that the forgiveness that we receive when that comes to us. Isaiah 55 says this. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Which is a warning, by the way. God is not necessarily always knocking on our door at every moment and every second of every day. That... If you're sensing that God is bringing conviction in your heart, working in you, speaking into you, you need to pursue that while He's there. You need to, to call upon Him. Part of that is that we need to forsake our way in verse 7. And the unrighteous man needs to forsake his thoughts, walk away from all of that. And we need to in turn return to the Lord so that He may have compassion and to our God, for He will, here's what I want to focus on, will abundantly pardon. God wants to forgive us of all of our stuff, guys. He, his will and what He wants to do, He doesn't want to punish us. He wants to punish His Son instead of us. He wants to pardon. He wants to literally put us on, not just on parole, but put us as if we were never incarcerated to begin with to completely forgive us of all of that. But that forgiveness is conditional. He's, it's What's the condition that he says that we must do? Well, it's right here. He says we have to return to the Lord. We have to forsake our way and our thoughts. We have to seek Him. In other words, we have to look into the black box and say, God, I'm walking away from this. I'm turning away from that. And I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm calling on you to be in charge of my life. I'm the one that walked away and walked into this mess. I'm returning, and I want you to have authority in my life. I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to be truly my God, not just a God who's out there that I believe in, like a magic genie is just going to take care of me. But I want to be, you to be the God that I surrender and go all in with that you are in charge of my soul. I put my complete trust that Jesus died for me. When we take that step, that true step of faith, that legitimate belief in faith, then in that moment, all accounts are switched as it were. And we move from being guilty and responsible for all of that in our past to being pardoned and forgiven. Guys, that's how this gift that God made for us works. It doesn't work any other way. There's so much confusion in our minds before we really surrender to Christ that some of you are trying to understand that. 
And I urge you to simply before God, just make that prayer your reality. God, I don't want to live my way anymore. I want Jesus to take my sin. I'm done with it. I'm walking away from it. I want you to be in charge of my life. Some of you need to do that this morning. And I urge you to where you are, even now, and our team is going to come up in just a second, and we're going to lead us in a couple of songs meant to be a little more reflection for us. I urge you to make that commitment, that prayer before God in heaven. If you've already surrendered your life to Christ this morning, then I want to challenge you to live in that. You see, if God has forgiven of you everything that you and I have ever done, then He tells us over and over that we in turn are to forgive those others around us. If you and I put Jesus on the cross and it was our punishment, our guilt that we see, there's nothing that anybody in this world has done to you that's worse than what you've done to Jesus. Nobody. Nobody. And God tells us that we're to forgive people. Sean, that's really hard, and I can't forget that. And you're right, forgetting's a whole other animal. I don't know that you really ever can. But you can release people from being accountable and holding them, um, holding the, the, the guilt and the anger and all of that. And you can do that as you have God's forgiveness and love in your life, then out of that, you're able to share that and give that to the person. Well, Sean, they haven't actually asked me forgiveness, for, asked for forgiveness. It's okay. Whether they have or not, whether they've owned up to it or not, you should forgive them. Well, Sean, I can't trust them anymore. What are they, if they do? You're right. There's some things that people do you can't trust them again. It does change things, but you can forgive them. You can release the resentment, the bitterness, the anger, you can release that because God has released all of that for you. So that's what it means for you and I to be a Christian, is not just to be somebody who's received God's grace and God's love and forgiveness, but to be people who've received that by faith, and in turn, we offer that to others around us. That's what God wants us to do this Christmas season. So as our music team comes up, our worship team comes, I want to pray for us. I want you to think about where you are in relation to that gift that God gave us. Have you looked into that black box? If you have, if you've at least looked thoroughly once, you don't need to keep looking there, but you do need to deal with your own sin where you are today and need to trust God's forgiveness, trust His grace, trust His, His that everything that you are wrestling with and the guilt and the shame has been paid in full if... If you've surrendered your life to Christ, you've sought Him, turned away from sins, and surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord. And if you've lived in that, He wants us to extend that to the people around us. So wherever you are and whatever's going on in your heart this morning, I urge you to take that next step in your walk with Him. Pray with me. Lord, thank You for this Christmas that You've given us, this incredible gift. Father, help us, I pray, to bravely face the realities of our soul. Jesus faced them 2,000 years ago, knowing each and every sin that we would ever commit. And He felt the pain of the punishment 
the death. God, I can't comprehend how Jesus in that moment paid for an eternity of my soul's punishment of separation from you. But God, he took that, and I'm so grateful for that. Lord, my prayer is that every person this morning who's here would experience that salvation. And Father, beyond that prayer is that every one of us would live in light of the simplicity and the beauty of that reality, that we are forgiven and free, that we are loved by you, and that we're called to extend that to those around us. God, help us to live in that reality, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.